So we're continuing our series in the parables that Jesus taught. Last week, we dealt with the topic of forgiveness, and we looked at the account of the woman who was known as a sinner showing up crying at Jesus' feet. Now, Jesus used a short parable about a man forgiving two debts and one significantly larger than the other debt. And to prove his point, the person that was forgiven more will love more. So the forgiveness concept that we dealt with last week was receiving forgiveness and the impact it actually has on us. Receiving forgiveness and the impact it actually has on us. Now today we're going to deal with the act of forgiving others, extending forgiveness to others, and Jesus teaches another parable. And basically the point is going to be that believers, we as believers should be known by the way we forgive others. We should be known by our forgiveness. Other people should see us as believers as forgiving people. So the setting of the parable starts with a question from Peter. So if you look at Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, it says this, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? So basically, Peter was not asking this question out of thin air, okay? He wasn't asking this question out of thin air. This was actually historically a debate among the rabbis. How many times should you forgive someone when they sin against you? So basically, most the, the, the public opinion of that day was you should forgive them three times. And then on the fourth time, not so much, okay? So that was kind of like the public opinion. The religious leaders were talking, and basically they're like, okay, if they do it three times, you should forgive them, but the fourth time, no, you shouldn't. So now Peter's asking this question, and it was more than doubling that amount, right? As many as seven times. Now we have to ask, was Peter expecting Jesus to respond, wow, Peter, that's really nice of you. You're doubling what the public opinion is. And, you know, when you really think about it, usually we kind of get sucked into what public opinion is. I mean, we see that in our world all the time. So now Peter's saying, okay, here's a public opinion three times. I'm going to say to Jesus, as many as seven times. So he was doubling that cultural norm. And he probably felt pretty good about himself. But listen to what Jesus says as an answer in verse 22. It says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Wait, seriously, Jesus, 77 times? Now, some translations, maybe a translation that you're using, might even say 70 times seven, okay? So the point is, the amount is not the point that Jesus is going to make when he enters into this next parable, okay? The amount is not the point, okay? We're not going to keep, nobody's going to say, well, okay, we're up to 483 times, so he, Jesus said 70 times 7, so we're close, okay? The, the, the amount is not the point, so don't get caught up in that, okay? Verse 23, it says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. 
And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Okay, so here, first off, Jesus paints this little picture. It's a parable. And basically, he starts off with exact, uh, 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 a harshly exaggerated amount. Okay, and this is to get people's attention and to prove his point. The amount in today's money would be $3.5 trillion. Okay, so basically, this is a crazy amount of money, which shows this is obviously not a real account. Okay, it's a parable and it's designed to capture people's attention. So, a debt like that could not be paid. So if you notice in that passage, really the demand of this man was his life, his wife's life, and his kid's life. Okay, not death, but a life of work and service. So in other words, the lives of these people would really have to be laid down to pay this debt, okay? This debt was not going to get paid with dollar bills, okay? This debt was going to be paid with the family of this man. So the servant begged for more time to pay, but the master knew that this was not possible. So he had pity on him and forgave the debt. So he wiped the debt clean. He paid it in full. The debt was gone. So at this point, the king could have said, okay, let's come up with a different payment plan, which is what most people would do. But he didn't. And so he, he wiped the debt clean. So then you have to ask yourself some questions like, why in the world would this king have this crazy amount of money owed to him and then just say, no, I'm not even taking a percentage. Like, I'm, I'm canceling the whole debt. Like, why would this king do this? Well, I believe there's three reasons why. And I believe he, he I, I believe there's three reasons why. So the first is the king knows that the debt can't be paid by the servant. Okay? The king knows the debt can't be paid by a servant. The second is the servant asks for forgiveness of the debt. And the third is the king actually absorbs the debt himself. So let's kind of dig in a little bit deeper because there are spiritual truths that Jesus is laying down for us here. So the first, the king knows the debt can't be paid by the servant. So the king in this parable obviously represents God and the servant represents us. And guess what? We have a debt that cannot be paid with dollar bills, okay? We have a debt, we have a sin debt, and realistically, the only way that sin debt can be paid is actually with our lives, with our lives, okay? Technically, we can't pay off our sin debt. Payment for our sin is actually our lives. The second is we go to God and we ask him for forgiveness of the sin debt. That's what this servant did. He begged. He said, please forgive me of this debt. Because we can't pay, we can't pay here in this life, and we don't want to pay with our eternal life, right? We don't want to pay for our sin debt with eternity because the, the, the payment for our sin debt is eternal separation from God. So we ask God for forgiveness of that sin debt. Now, he's willing to offer that forgiveness, but he also wants us to realize that someone still has to pay. Now, think about this king, right? He forgave the debt, but who really paid the debt in a sense? The king did, right? I mean, he absorbed the debt in and of himself. So this is now where we see the gospel start taking shape because we find out that the king absorbs the debt. Now, remember, in that parable, the king absorbed the debt, but now... What happens is this, 
technically, the king absorbs the debt, considers it loss, okay? I can't get that money back. So now we bring the spiritual truths into this parable, and we realize who pays our sin debt. Now the king does. The king pays our sin debt, and his name is Jesus. When King Jesus was dying on the cross, remember they put that, the king of the Jews, above his head, okay? He was the king, and he was actually paying for our sins on that cross. He was absorbing that sin debt in and of himself. God doesn't just say, okay, sin, I'm going to forget about it. He says, no, sin is going to be paid for, and it's going to be paid for on the back of my son, Jesus Christ, who loved us so much, who was willing to pay that price for us. Obviously, for us as believers, when we trust in Jesus Christ, it's a life-changing moment, right? We, we come to the conclusion, we realize, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. God doesn't just turn the other way about my sin. He realizes my sin has to be paid for. He doesn't make me pay for it myself. Jesus pays for it on the cross. Three days later, Jesus rose to prove that he can actually pay for our sins. So as believers, that should be a life-changing moment. I know for me, it was a life-changing moment. For many of you, it was a life-changing moment because all of a sudden, now the direction of your life is no longer just me, 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 and what I do. The direction of your life is, wow, the king paid my debt. My whole perspective on life has changed now because now I'm looking at life and saying, I should have had to pay for that but Jesus paid for me. The realization of forgiveness and salvation we have in Jesus should be a life-changing experience. You know, today we're going to observe baptism in a few minutes. We're going to observe people being baptized. Well, why in the world would you jump in a baby pool in front of a bunch of people unless your life was changed, okay? Unless you had something to say to other people, which is, I once was lost, I once was dead, and now I'm alive because of Jesus. And that's what baptism represents, death to life. Baptism doesn't change a person's life, but Jesus does. And baptism proclaims that Jesus changed our life. So back to the parable of the servant that does not have to pay his debt. This should have been a life-changing moment for the servant. Wouldn't you expect Okay, you owe this exorbitant amount of money. You can't pay it. You, you, you collapse in front of the king and you say, please forgive me. And the king actually does. It should have radically changed and altered the way that he acts and interacts. But let's find out how this servant responds. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This is roughly about a third of a year's wage. So it's still a decent amount of money. I mean, it's a third of a year. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This is rough. I mean, think about this for a second. This is rough. So this guy was forgiven a debt that he could never pay back and that would have taken the freedom of him and his entire family 
And now his fellow servant that owed him a debt that paled in comparison to the debt that he owed as far as amount goes. And he would not forgive him. He would not forgive him. Needless to say that the forgiveness of the large debt did not have the life-changing impact that you and I would expect it to have, right? It didn't have that impact on him. At this point, I'm shaking my head, right? Aren't you? You're like, what is up with this guy? I mean, he just was forgiven. He just was forgiven. Well, let's see what the onlookers or the fellow servants, how they responded. <clears throat> it says, when his fellow servants saw what, he had take, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. So all the other servants at this point were shaking their heads. So they told on the other servant. They told on him. They were tattletales, okay? And rightfully so, because they were so discouraged by this. They could not believe what just happened. You mean that guy that just was forgiven that big debt? That his family was going to have to spend a life of service with no payment just to kind of work this thing off? So verse 32 says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So the king now confronts the servant, calls him wicked because of his actions. But it's more than just the action of not forgiving the debt. It's the fact that he did not treat his fellow servant the way that he was treated by the king. He did not have mercy, okay? Now you might remember mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So the king had the power to punish or harm that servant that owed him, but he showed mercy. He didn't. So now he's saying, well, why didn't you show mercy? You have the power over this person because they owe you a debt. You have the power. You rightfully have the power. You can actually put that person in prison by law, by what was going on in that kingdom. You could do that, but you did not choose mercy. See, the king chose to have mercy. He had the power and authority. But the servant did not choose to have mercy. He had the power and authority to collect, and that's what he decided he was going to do. Now, here are the main implications, and really the main point of what Jesus is teaching in response to Peter's question. Because remember, this all started with a question. How many times should I forgive someone? Okay, so notice it has nothing to do with the amount of times, but it has everything to do with your heart attitude and the way you interact with other people. So let's break this down. Someone sins against you repeatedly. Why would God want you to continue to forgive them? Okay. Someone sins against you. Why would God want you to forgive them? That's really the question. Why would he want you to forgive them? Well, the first reason is because you are forgiven by Jesus. If you are a believer in Christ, you are forgiven. A debt that you can never pay with any dollar amount. You can only pay with your eternal life. 
that should be life-changing. The fact that you are a forgiven person. So being, a forgi- being forgiven is a weight lifted off our spiritual shoulders, isn't it? Being forgiven is what guarantees us eternal life. Being forgiven releases us of guilt and shame. And being forgiven makes it so we don't have to pay for our sins. You see, when we forgive others, it releases them of the guilt and shame they feel for what they did to us. It's actually beneficial to them, right? It releases them from that guilt and shame. You know, when someone forgives you, you know that guilt and shame. When, when you sin against somebody and then they honestly forgive you, it's like a weight's been lifted off you. It's a weight's been lifted off you. Obviously, extending forgiveness does not benefit the other person like forgiveness of God does, okay? It doesn't give them eternal life or anything like that, but it helps the person in their spiritual and emotional life. You realize this, that some people will not forgive another person because they're trying to make them pay for what they did to them, and basically they are kind of making them pay because they're spiritually and emotionally putting such a hard weight on them and a heavy weight on them that they have a hard time functioning. So some of you that are withholding forgiveness, you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly what you're doing. You're making them feel terrible about themselves. And how does that make you feel about yourself? You can answer that, right? The second reason is that forgiving others gives us an opportunity to represent Jesus. Now, this is where it gets real for us as Christians, right? The king forgave this debt, and it made him so angry that the servant acted in this way. Because in some senses, it's almost like this servant is representing the king. Now, basically, this king has a servant in his house treating, or a servant in his kingdom, treating other servants in the exact opposite way than he's been treated. It's almost like the king saying, you know, you weren't raised that way. You ever say that to your kids? You weren't raised that way. It's almost like the king saying, you came from a place in which forgiveness was extended. You should also extend forgiveness, and people will see that you're a representation of the kingdom you grew up in. Now, what better way for you and I as believers to represent Jesus than forgiving them for what they did against us? What better opportunity do you and I have This is when we hear stories of forgiveness that only take place if someone has the power of the Holy Spirit. Only take place from a believer. Like when parents forgive the person that murdered their child. Like when missionaries like Elizabeth Elliot forgave the very people that murdered her husband and five other men. And those women went back to that place to minister to those very people. We look at that and say, that's insane. How could you do that? How could you forgive a person that's done this atrocity? We can't even imagine. But that forgiveness comes from the power that we have through the Holy Spirit. And the fact that we know that we're forgiven by Jesus. A debt that would cost us our lives. The third is forgiving others is healthy for our spiritual life. Now, when we look at this servant that would not forgive his fellow servant, 
He should have been so happy and so relieved that he was forgiven of his debt. But instead, what did he do? He focused on the debt that was owed to him. Look how he acted. He was so far off the rails, right? He was, he was just not a good person to be around, right? What did he do? He choked him. He said, you're going to pay this back. Think about that. He must have been in such a spiritually dark place to act in violence towards his fellow servant. See, if his focus was on the forgiveness that he received, guess what? He would have acted differently. Our perspective can radically change the way we act and react. Do you realize that? Your perspective can radically change the way that you act and react. Sometimes as believers, we get off focus and we get in such unhealthy places because our focus is not Jesus and what he did for us. Our focus is what's wrong with the world. Our focus is what this person has done to me. Our focus is what don't I have that I want. Our focus is on the causes that are here today and gone tomorrow. And guess what? Mainly our focus is not on the Lord. So we're spiritually unhealthy. See, when we withhold forgiveness, it eats us up spiritually and turns us into people that we should not be. We become bitter, angry, and resentful. The result will be this. No one wants to be around us. Remember I said those fellow servants went and tattled, okay? The reason why they tattled, they didn't even know what to do with this guy. They're like, ugh, I don't want to be around him, okay? If you know somebody that's withholding forgiveness, they become bitter, angry, resentful. They are just not a joy to be around, okay? They are just miserable miserable people. And when you and I see them, we're like, I'm going the other way. I don't want to be around this person. In fact, when we do that, when we are that person, we don't even like who we are. You know, when you put your head on that pillow at night and you can't forgive someone, you don't even like yourself. That's why you can't sleep. Like, oh, I got a lot of things going on. It's like, yeah, spiritual things. That's why you don't like who you are, because you're not being who God desires you to be. So let's finish up this parable, because what happens next raises some concerns theologically. It says this, And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Also, also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, at first glance, we hear this and we're like, uh-oh, okay, what's going on here? What's going on here? It seems that it's saying if a believer does not offer forgiveness to someone that sins against them, God will take away the forgiveness from them. Well, this obviously cannot be the case because we know from the scriptures that our salvation is secure, meaning we can never lose our salvation. And once we are forgiven, we are always forgiven. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So what's going on here? Well, first we have to realize this parable is not intended to be a complete theological treatise on forgiveness and salvation. But secondly... And more in line with the lesson of the parable is this. A true believer, a true believer, okay, let me say that. A true believer 
will be known by their willingness to forgive. Because they will have the power from the Holy Spirit, they can actually forgive those that have sinned against them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful for the forgiveness that you've given me as a sinner before you. I'm thankful for the forgiveness that you've extended to all these people here that have trusted in you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be good, a good representation of the forgiveness that we've received so that when people sin against us, which they will, that we forgive them that we forgive them. So we pray, Lord, for anyone here that's holding on to unforgiveness, that will not forgive someone who sinned against them. I pray, Lord, that they would forgive them and let you deal with that person who sinned against them because they will have to deal with you and you will deal with them. So I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to forgive those who have sinned against us as you've forgiven us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.